0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to Remotely Serious. Uh, We actually, I'm here with Sunder Rash, uh, the CEO and co-founder of Safety Wing. We were actually having, we were getting into a really exciting uh, discussion right before we turned the mics on. So I, um, I was getting my my trigger finger was happy. I was just getting excited to turn that record button on. So yeah, I mean. Welcome, Saundra. Welcome to the podcast. Um, we were talking about Plumia, an initiative that falls under the umbrella of Safety Wing, um, but we're glad to have you here representing both Safety Wing and Plumia uh, on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Curtis. It's it's great to be on uh, remotely, Serious. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that's a it's a good introduction. I'll just I'll just use what we were talking about as a segue. Earlier this year, it was not the first time that I heard about Safety Wing, but I participated in a Discord-based Cohort of an initiative called Plumia. Uh, and so there's actually there's two things that you know are really interesting to talk about in terms of the organization you run. Plumia actually has come up probably more often on this podcast because we we like to get into nerdy things. And if I can do a, a quick version, probably not the best version of pitching your company, and then I'll hand it over to you to do even better. Safety Wing is a global health insurance company for remote workers, remote teams, and digital nomads normal health insurance doesn't isn't really the right kind of product for people that are remotely working the industry hasn't adapted so safety wing is a venture-backed company that handles that but you also have a fairly niche but famous initiative within the future of work within the sovereign individual space within the kind of uh maybe even sort of within the crypto and blockchain community because it kind of is adjacent to some of the things that go on there you have plumia which has a a long-term vision for almost a new way of governance and understanding the nation state so is that close enough to how you how you might pitch it to your stakeholders
1: (laughs) yeah i think that's pretty interesting and and good and uh yeah i I don't think I need to like correct. It's not exactly the words I would use, but I think it's like pretty accurate and good. So,
0: so maybe the the, the thing I'm curious about both of uh, Safety Wing and Plumia. But maybe the first thing is like your your core product. It almost seems like a magic wand. In and I was I sold into U.S. healthcare my a company that I had an exit with sold to risk-bearing payers and US companies and sold a uh, basically a diabetes coaching and monitoring product so i understand what it's like to sell to for-profit health insurers i know the kind of people that are the the types of executives that work at health insurance companies and i do have you know half a decade of experience with the health insurance company mindset mostly in the US Uh, So when I look at this, it almost seems like I know what the premiums are on health insurance in the US. That's a unique case because other countries and other nations, most of them, or many of them have government health care. But it seems like, okay, yeah, how do you deliver a product that's going to give you health insurance all around the world? And it's also not just... A thin layer of emergency travel insurance it's real health insurance oh yeah what would the premiums on that be oh i don't know four grand five grand six grand a month but that's that's not what you offer you offer something that's very reasonably priced and so so how do you how do you do that what is the magic and the product of safety wing and i'm not trying to be pr for your company i'm just genuinely curious
1: how do you do it it's very hard for me to step outside of like the kind of tree of knowledge curse like of, of not understanding the kind of stems and the branches of the things, because I'm so like in this world day to day. Uh, but I'm going to try to do my best as I try to, 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 to explain that. Um, so I'm just gonna, you just stop me when something doesn't make sense at all. I will. Uh,
0: I'll interrupt if I
1: get confused. Yeah. If like, if someone listening and they're like, "Hmm, I want to start a company like this. Uh, this is the kind of problems you got to solve. Okay. So one is this like, Regulatory problem, so here we took a strategy choice early on like it's we're not escaping the nation state out of the gate we're more like trying to build this bridge, right so we're not building this on the blockchain we're We're getting normal insurance company licenses regu- having a friendly cooperative uh approach with existing states and regular okay and in insurance that means everything is super regulated and that's becomes like the biggest problem you have to solve out of the gate it's regulated on multiple levels to have a carrier to have a product to sell insurance every country okay top problem you got to solve out of the gate there's a couple of ways to solve it um but anyway that's that's Can I just ask
0: a quick question on that? Because yeah. you need to set up certain things. It's not it's not like a D2C SaaS AI app or something where you can validate $1 of revenue on day 1. What was the time from having the idea or co-founding the company to when you were legally allowed to earn your first dollar of revenue? Was that like 6 months or was it 2 years to kind of get from we want to do this. Yeah. We have to we have to get certified and then, you know, we we made our first dollar.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we were actually really fast about it. So the average for people starting an in insurance startup is two years. We did it in six months. I didn't know it was fast at the time, uh, but I'll tell you the trick. I remember we sat down day one. We we didn't come from that industry, so uh, I just used you know my general startup method, which is generate many attempts and try all of them in parallels. We wrote down seventy different ways, and one of them worked. So it was just six months, but, uh, we didn't get our carrier license we just got that this year, but, uh, we sort of, we were able to find essentially, uh, another international company that had somewhat products that was just a step away and we essentially pitched them our product vision and using their kind of existing regulatory licenses, we can instruct our new product. Uh, And that was sort of how we got to market pretty fast.
0: So, wow. like a fintech company might find a place where Visa or Mastercard will let them partner. In a sense, it's like you found the right partner to launch a insure tech company quickly because you could you you didn't build everything from scratch. You were able to find the right partner after and discarding sixty nine other ways of trying, and this is the right way.
1: Correct, and then you build uh, the infrastructure you know, as you, uh, after, you know, as you go along, yeah. at least you're generating revenue, you're working on the, the top problem you've got to solve first, which is, you know, getting customers, making something people want. Okay. So that's one piece of it. Another piece of it is, is, uh, is this thing, uh, you could describe it in mul- multiple ways, but it's essentially like People will in the U.S. will t- tend to think of it as the medical network, but that's really only the way it is described in the U.S. because the medical networks here, you know, are so well developed. But it's essentially like using the product, right? It's using the product, and you know, so there's something that's available out of the gate anywhere, which you know, people in the U.S. will you know recognize as out of network, which is essentially that you charge and get your money back uh, after. Or in our case, we can also do one better for anything expensive, where we essentially get the medical provider to bill us directly. Uh, and then over time, you know, you build up this, you know, increasing network of hospitals who know you and will always kind of bill you directly. Uh, we're working on one like super hack right now, uh, which is, you know, everyone, we're making this like save to win card so that you can just use that to pay anywhere. So even if it's a hospital, not in our network, you can still pay. So with our product, you can go anywhere, but uh, not everywhere in the world, they will accept to bill us directly. So mm-hmm. if you call us, right, we will, of course, refer you to somewhere that will bill us directly. So the kind of that's the kind of two way it works. Uh, the process of solving this is this like combination of sort of managing a little medical network plus just a variant of... Kind of customer service, I guess. It's not, it's not that hard. And it's an industry in insurance, it's called third party provider, which is super nondescript name, but that's like the name for the industry. It's essentially the people doing this sort of claims management for insurance companies. Okay. That's another piece of the puzzle. Um, and then the third piece of the puzzle is just like making the user experience great. And frankly, this is where we poured a lot of our energy in, in the beginning. So, in health insurance, buying it, whether you're a company or, or an individual, it's just so opaque. There's like, you kind of have to be a financial engineer. It took us years to understand all of it ourselves, that they're just expecting buyers to understand, which is why you need this kind of broker layer who charges exorbitant fees, like from like 50 and some like life insurance is like 90%. Like they, they really like get a large piece of the pie. So you know, the way around that is just simplification. So we said, oh, we wanted to have one price for everyone worldwide on the website. <laughs> um, and that's a huge effort. That was like the hugest simplification effort we did, because then you need the same policy works everywhere for everyone. And it's, uh, well, right now it's $45 a month for the Nomad Insurance product. Uh, and um, and for, the, for, for the Nomad Health, it's either $120 or, or $240 for this like very premium, all the add-ons in. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the other part. And the work of doing that is, is very hard. It's like grinding. It's like, you got to negotiate with the regulator and like simplify the language. You have to kind of like negotiate with sort of an actuary to say like, Hey, but li- listen, like if we cut up this option, you know, then we have a product where we don't have to price it variably and, you know, so it's like, you've got to make a lot of sacrifices to get to simplicity. You know, it's kind of like going, you know, what was the phone before the iPhone? That was very, it was the Blackberry, Blackberry, right. It's kind of yeah. like going from the Blackberry to the iPhone. I suspect before then that people who were making the Blackberry were like for simplification and they were like struggling, oh, can we delete this button? Right. And they're like, oh, yeah. no, really, we need that button. Uh, yeah and then you know Apple just comes out and it's like it's just one button no,
0: no buttons <laughs> yeah it's just no one buttons. one button, one button,
1: yeah <laughs> one of them so that's a similar kind of thing where it's like our approach is radically different from what everyone else is doing and 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 just simplifying the user experience. you can sign up in five minutes, it's the same product for everyone, the price is on the front page that's that's a big part of the kind of product development puzzle for us
0: what nationality? made up your first cohorts of customers the most? Did it appeal? We know that it appeals to people that are working remotely and digital nomads and remote teams as sort of a a demographic. But did you find that a certain nationality, Americans more than others or Europeans more than others, was the first to get it and want
1: your product in the earlier days? So people's intuition, whenever we talk talk about nomad insurance and, and indeed nomad health and remote health, you know, when that came out, Uh, It was something like this and and it's kind of, there's truth to it, but it's it's so much less true than people expect it to be. And that is that, uh, you know, roughly nobody in Europe is going to want this and maybe also nobody in any other country that has public health systems. And then there will be like seven countries where they do want it, where they associate with private healthcare. Maybe they think about Singapore, United States, maybe a couple of the Latin American countries. And something like that, and then you're also going to have this like business process outsourcing mm-hmm. use case. That's sort of like people's assumptions when they when we first started pitching it, and um, and that isn't true at all. Uh, what you get is Europe is a big market for us, like 34. percent The US is too, uh, but also rest of the world is also <laughs> significant. So it's it's surprisingly not geographic. Uh, what we see is, you know, there's host country and then there's destination, right? So it's like mm-hmm. somebody has a home country, like their passport country, uh, mm-hmm. and that is distributed, you know, kind of like what I said on the on the individual front, on the nomad front. Uh, but then we also see very clear patterns on destination. On basically, mm-hmm. just go to nomadlist.com and like just see that ranking, and that's yeah. how our customers distribute as well. It's extremely. Uh, 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 concentrated on nomad hotspots. So right now, you you can imagine, you know, Lisbon is off the charts. You know, Bali's been there for forever. You know, Chiang Mai been there forever. Uh, yeah. So so that's uh, that, right. that's something. So patterns. it's
0: not necessarily about the nationality of the person. Maybe there are some patterns there, but it's about where they are. And there's lots of people from from Europe and. Canada and America and all kinds of different countries going to nomad hotspots and saying I need health insurance there. This is this is the brand that makes sense to me, um, because I think, um, I guess maybe uh, my experience as a as a buyer is that and this might be a regulatory. Th- I think it actually is a regulatory thing. I'm in Canada. If I want to go to Mexico, they're very particular about saying you have to tell us about the trip beforehand you know you, you, it's much better to buy the insurance this is just in the canadian provincial context you know tell us about the trip beforehand you might not get coverage mm-hmm. if you land in mexico and then buy it afterwards so it's kind of a, a a piece of hygiene something your dad tells you to do which is buy the insurance before you leave yeah. don't forget is your flow set up where that's true it seems like where where you're going nomads don't think of themselves as at home and on vacation they might th- think of themselves as in a continuous line are you able to um provide that kind of buy it anytime anywhere yeah. type of experience
1: yeah yeah uh, this was you know we were nomads when we made the product and you know so we we knew exactly the, those pain points you know that's the key difference between sort of you know, if i were to call you know nomad insurance a separate category nomad insurance and travel insurance is you, you can buy it whenever, so you can buy it when you're abroad, and it's a subscription right. that you can have without end. Uh, that's you know broadly, uh, you know that's 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 the key difference. Uh, that's the key kind of difference between a nomad and a traveler is is this thing. It's open ended. It might last for years, and uh, and you might indeed get it when you're already abroad because you're not you're not going on a vacation. And so not not to get too morbid
0: but health insurance i think it's something that people you know they never want to have to use it means that you've had some kind of in most cases it means you've had some kind of health event although there are other things that are just part of the normal course of life getting pres- prescriptions refilled getting glasses where it's not so much a you know an acute event i wonder if this is something there's a perception where young people are nomads and so they're buying this product and maybe not not much happens to them when they're in bali or uh, or in Lisbon and but it's great to, you know you should have health insurance it's great to have health insurance it's the right thing to do do you find that you also have to plan for there may be a category just just knowing what i know from actuarial science in the US market mm-hmm. someone who is a nomad in the UK and it turns out you know god forbid thoughts and prayers we don't actually want this but they have very complicated heart disease and type 2 diabetes or they have stage 3 pancreatic cancer and all of a sudden As is the nature of the health insurance industry, you're responsible. Are you then, you know, most emergency travel insurance would send someone home, you know, if they're vacationing in the UK. Okay, great. Go back Mm -hmm. home to Vancouver or Chicago and you'll, you, you definitely won't deal with your cancer or your diabetes surgery here. Are you you know is is it such that if someone's in the uk Mm -hmm. or or indonesia or portugal they then if they're living there for several years they can go to the nhs they can go into the portuguese healthcare system and get complicated treatments Uh, that's the thing that's kind of like oh i get it yeah you you know mad for six months you get insurance that makes sense you know 80 bucks a month 200 bucks a month 50 bucks a month whatever it is then it's like how do you deal with that and that that's kind of a lead-in into The concept of a social safety net in plumia but i wanted to just deal with that kind of tricky topic first right
1: yeah no for sure and and uh you know it's funny because when people buy this product they imagine themselves just like going to the urgent care for something minor as like the main use case but yeah if you think about like what we actually deal with that is expensive and difficult and where the users desperately uh like uh, need our help and, and we make a huge difference. And is in those cases, it is an emergencies, it is isn't a big, serious stuff. Um, and, uh, so, uh, no, we, we don't send home. I mean, just to start there, right? So even a nomad insurance, right. The sort of the, the lowest cost, you no, know, no med insurance option. You, you have a, you know, new diabetes thing happening. You're just doing the treatment there. Uh, and you're not being sent home. It, it's not like most of those travel insurances don't actually cover health, right? They just might cover some some to go to the emergency room and you know and then trip home, essentially. So it's not like that. Like you don't have to have a primary uh, health insurance anywhere. Um, uh, there are limitations on nomad insurance though, which is worth mentioning. And one of the there are two, and one of them is long term cancer treatment. Uh, so that's not covered on the fifty dollar forty five dollar one. But if you have Nomad Health, that's also like, that's just covers everything. Nomad Health covers everything, you know, including, you know, you're in the UK, you're just staying there doing long-term cancer treatment for a decade, you know, that's still covered, uh, covers all the expenses. So it is like, it is a zero deductible, uh, you know, high quality health insurance that covers everything. That's, that's what it's set up to do now. And, you know, certainly in the future.
0: The current vision, and it seems like you're definitely hitting. A version of your current and near-term vision i've been in startups many startups are encouraged to have a long-term vision whether that's to raise venture capital you know there's there's a growing movement right now around just sort of ship quickly and be a solopreneur and an indie maker um and that's great and i think that that's a wonderful movement but traditionally for startup founders who want to impress vcs and raise money and raise more money Startup founders are encouraged to have a, a bombastic, amazing seven to 10-year vision. And many do. Many say they do in order to get that round closed and all kinds of things like that. But you're, you're kind of a unique case where you do have a long-term vision, but it's not necessarily something you just sort of privately say to your Series C or a Series D investor. It's it's a formal there, there's an aspect of your long-term vision. I'm not going to say it's your whole long-term vision. There's an aspect of your long-term vision that is a formal entity called Plumia that aims to push society forward on various fronts, like the, the creation. One of them is the creation of a passport that's not tied to a nation state. I know that there are other aspects. We were mentioning off mic before we started that I participated in a a cohort that was on Discord around brainstorming and thinking of open source initiatives for Plumia. It seems to be structured as either nonprofit or open source or not under the same profit pressures of safety wing. What's what's the deal with that? If, if people say, just focus, if you're in a startup, just focus on revenue, big, big, bigger, don't get distracted by other things. This seems like it's quite siloed off. It's different. It's not necessarily a profit center for many, many years. What is Plumia? And for listeners, that's P-L-U-M-I-A. What is Plumia and, and why did you launch that so early in the game, so to speak?
1: Yeah, that, that's 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 a great question. So we we form Safetying Day one, it has this you know mission of you know building country on the internet and a global social safety net. And the re- there are many takes you can take on that reasoning. One is you know, the way I think about it, which doesn't make much sense to others for some reason, but it's essentially that the social structure reflects the reality that you're in. Like, if you're on the moon, like Paul Graham has this line, like, if you were on the moon, uh, you know, air would be like a product. Um, And uh, so what kind of social structures you have, you know, it depends on just the reality that you find yourself in. And the internet has changed, the constraints of the reality that we live in and the social structures have not caught up. So, you know, from my point of view, it is obvious that this kind of internet, global social structures will emerge. And you can call this internet countries, you can call it other things. I don't know exactly how it will manifest, but to me, it's obvious that's on the horizon. It's exciting. That's a cool part of the, the upcoming decade. And, uh, But I can also see this kind of going kind of badly in some ways like you can get kind of dystopian accidental uh social structures here um so so you know we're we're set out to make you know global social safety net when we first started we thought you know like you imply that we would essentially complete you know the health insurance make that great you know all the other you know the global social safety net parts retirement etc and then at the end of that chain we would start the citizenship thing what essentially accelerated that timeline was covid so what we saw in COVID is, hey, remote work is accelerating the the future that we uh, foresee by like five years, and we know that every sort of project like this has this like long lead time. So we should we should just start the final goal uh, right now, um, and and that you know became Plumia, Plumia. We invited a lot of interesting thinkers in a you know founding meeting and. You know, Lauren Rosavi took over you a new chance of just the community there and, and by the way, had amazing success already. A lot of it uh, due to the nomad and remote work visas. Uh, and it's not that they're like ours, but we kind of got a bit due to a fortunate sequence of events. Uh, we, from a many countries point of view, we are sort of like the host of that idea. So I'll explain how that happened. Like It primarily happened with Sarah. I remember hosting a talk on Web Summit, you know, arguing for this idea in 2019, this guy from Barbados heard about that. And I had him on my podcast and then, you know, he proposed that in 2020 at a very fortunate timing. And then, as you know, like 80 countries copied this very similar thing. And, um, and, uh, and, And so, so we were even like at the UN speaking, you know, for the general assembly last spring about it. We're in like dialogue with 30 countries about like organizing something called the Nomad border pass, uh, you know, apply one place, get 30 visas uh, as, as a way to this sort of global citizenship uh, route. Okay. So I think we were very good and right. I also think that this is still ahead of us, but this is, this sort of global citizenship or whatever you could say it, like internet social structures is ahead of us, internet country, uh, however you want to define it. Um, uh, the timing is still, you know, it's, not, it's still not perfectly there, but at some point it's uh, in the, very soon in the future, I think this will be like a major industry, uh, you know, like kind of AI or crypto, like it's like, it's a whole bucket of things. And, and that's also why we were hoping with Plumia, you know, and what you were part of in the court is that we, we can't do it alone in a way. So we need to kind of be this hub that kind of gathers and activates other projects in this realm. And of course, there are tons of other cool projects. It's not like we, we are doing it alone. Like in crypto in particular, there's tons of super interesting projects. We're paying attention to them, we're super supportive of them. Um, and, I, but, and where we're un- unique, is in a, in that way i, I mentioned at the beginning it's this strategy of being kind of more friendly to the existing order and kind of providing this bridge uh for the countries themselves you know best exemplified with this nomad visa situation
0: so maybe to be really clear when we're talking about a social safety net it, it, in my words these are my words not yours but i've looked at it and, and seen it as something like we haven't had much innovation in the concept of the nation state as created by philosophers in the 1600s and 1700s and kind of in the post 1600s world. First, France and America, you know, got rid of kingdoms and started to, it took hundreds of years, but there became nation modern, liberal, capitalist, nation state, democracies. And then there were still, you know, fascists and things like that. And then eventually by the 1960s the colonialism around the world started to tar- started to break away and we got to the end of the 20th century with a not not every country but most countries have a certain model and that model is that you know there's some educating the children taxing the workers and taking care of old people and that for the first time or or yeah. in the coming decades we may find other entities in the new internet context where it's not necessarily the land based post westphalia nation state that educates you provides your income and then your pension or or social security or whatever you call it but some some other kind of entity like maybe in in plumia's vision um so i actually have Mm -hmm. i kind of have i've always i'm excited to ask you about this because i've always had kind of two hang-ups about this or just two things that i'm trying to get my head around and the first one is so i won't i won't talk single out plumia but I'll, i'll talk about you know there's another Another project called Praxis and essentially wants to create a city in the Mediterranean yep. that is a, a, new, a new governance. Of course, they'll have to partner with, it's, they're keeping it very secret, but they'll have to partner with Croatia or Montenegro or Albania or wherever they're doing it at first. Similarly, there's another project in Honduras called Prospera, which partners and creates a special economic zone to run these these new city, the first versions of these city experiments. What I don't, uh, what I think is that, of course, there's a lot of optimism when you say it, like, I'm a, you know, not me, but like, I'm a 28 year old nomad, and I want to just be able to go to a new kind of governance or have a new kind of passport. And it's just like a a good person who's one of the one of the good people. They don't commit crimes, they just want to travel. That all sounds great. It's like provide Mm. a passport that gets you into eight Eight countries, but what I don't get is like, imagine you create the city where everybody's like-minded. We're all on the blockchain. We all have similar Mm -hmm. values. Unfortunately, what I know about social science and people and society is like, at some point, someone will murder someone. Someone will commit white-collar crime Mm -hmm. on the territory or in the in the jurisdiction of this new governance. And it seems like the whole point of nation states. The the ugly truth is that there are multi-hundred-year-old legal systems. Civil society, police officers, mm-hmm. firefighters, and I don't hear about that so much when it and and so I'm not even asking about Plumia. I'm just observing some of the other projects, and it's like this is yeah. great that you all use Ethereum and you you know you have libertarian tax brackets mm-hmm. and and you can share values, et etc. But like, what happens when there's a bombing? What ha- like nations have to deal with real shit, right. and some of these places, I don't get how they're going to deal with that. I'm not saying that they don't have a plan, but that that's sort of like point yeah. one. Um, <laughs> So, and the other mm-hmm. point is kind of, it's more on taxation. So point two, if I'm indulging myself a little bit mm-hmm. is I see nomads saying, you know, it's annoying to have to pay tax. You know, I'm only there for six weeks. I want to go here. I want to go there. There's a group of libertarian nomads that are explicitly saying I am trying to get to 0% tax. And it feels like if, mm-hmm. if the world just creates some loophole where you can go to six different countries, never be in a residence somewhere, that doesn't seem like something the existing nation states would be totally okay with. You know, billionaires are smart. And if we create a system where you can just sort of exit, like we're already dealing with that. But I feel like nomads are sometimes too optimistic about like, isn't taxation annoying? And I'm not not saying that's what Plumia thinks. I'm not saying that's what you think. But those two things like crime and bad things happening and armies and navies and police officers i don't hear much about that in these special new nation sit, uh network state cities what happens there and then taxation's another one so i'm just laying it out the two things that i'm like those seem like huge problems
1: yeah uh, great and i also love the way you describe things you know the the, the the problem solution space in the beginning there it's fantastic um so okay so bad shit happening i guess to, to start with, you know, while adjacent intellectually, you know, th- there is a difference in the kind of problems, uh, you know, uh, let's say internet citizenship and, and Prospera, Prospera, you know, has to deal with because we're not holding, we're not holding any land, right? Um, and uh, we also have this like huge benefit, which nation states really don't have. They could take this back, uh, but... In modern times, they're kind of reluctant to banish people, (laughs) Uh, which is that we could just say, well, you can't be a member anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of like an easy fix. And, uh, you know, other than that, you know, we are we're, we're a layer on top of and will be for a long time layer on top of various geographies being ruled by anything from like modern liberal democracies to like, you know, less developed situations. And that's just the way it is, right? So that that's just that's just what mm-hmm. you know the future will be like for for a while. Um, I do think that you know, like when we you know in that you know nation state scenario, you know when we went from city states to nation states, you know that was technologically driven. You know, eventually the higher layer just you know get more and more say, even though the city government you know still exists and there is a distribution of tasks mm-hmm. between them. I, I do suspect that it will go in a similar way, similar direction here, uh, which I, I think is very good uh, because uh, it, it brings with us, you know, reduction in. I think it can re- reduce conflict over time. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, so, so, so that's that that that's roughly like for safe It's easier. Like we don't have a lot of the shit you're thinking about. We're not, Prospera will have to deal with, but we don't have to, and we have a tool that mm-hmm. they don't, which is just you just, just cancel your membership. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. You, you don't have to forcibly extradite someone from a piece no, of land, essentially. No, it's like a digital thing.
1: Uh, okay. So that's one. Uh, but as for them, I haven't thought enough about it. Uh, I, I would agree with you, right? So it's like, if you look at historically, you know, there's, there's Hong Kong, but Hong Kong existed because UK protection. And then there's Singapore, who kind of self was a bit of a self-made country. But, you know, that's like 5% of GDP in military and like just being completely paranoid about their own, uh, uh security, you know, in the, in the early decades. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's one of those two, right? I mean, if you see Paul Romer, Charter city, right, they're all, they're all looking at Hong Kong. They're all saying host, like basically, you know, protective country they, they, they want to be under some other orders protection. Uh, at least in the beginning that seems yeah. to be their plan because going to singapore way is just very expensive um so yeah I, i'm i'm very glad these projects exist because i do think we need competition competition in governance uh and that they will introduce this and um but but yeah i'm, I'm also glad i don't have to solve that problem <laughs> so good luck to yeah. them number two can you remind me the question was the taxation
0: yeah. It's, it's taxation. And, and so like very briefly, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and reframe it from the way I said it first. I see nomads. There's, there's a couple, there's two different groups. One group of nomads is kind of like, it's annoying to fill out forms. I don't want to have to go to six countries and like change my residency. Why can't there just be a nomad passport? Kind of like something the vision of Plumia might be sure. working on. But it, But I also find there's a flip side where they're almost like, isn't tax annoying? And it's like, yeah, it is. But like, The grown like as a grown up, you know, you're not just gonna kind of wave. On the one hand, you're not just gonna say like this isn't this is bad UX. Like people say the tax things are bad UX, and it's like yeah, the countries don't care. They need their Mm -hmm. tax. Like they're not gonna stop doing it because it's bad UX. They're not they're not a private company that fixes their UX. So so or or if they do, they don't do it very quickly. And then the second side is like there's active libertarians that are saying my goal, their their whole Twitter persona is. I am avoiding tax and I'm going and structuring like that. And I'll sell you a, a course on how to yeah. do that. And so all, all I'm saying is I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize other of yeah. those two groups. I'm just saying maybe the kind, like the kinds of people you're talking to, when you say you're talking to 30 nations, you created the nomad visas. There's obviously something there that's working. And there are examples of nomad visas where they're saying, you don't have yeah. to pay tax come for a year, no tax, which is kind of shocking yeah. and interesting, but I'm just trying to think like, what's the next yeah. step? are our countries going to be competing in a race yeah. to the bottom to not tax people and bring them in? And how does that work? Yes. I yeah. love it. First of all, to be clear, I love it, but I, but I'm thinking of sort of more like a policy person. Right. Like, ooh, you know, that could get yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like,
1: no, for sure. I, I have, I have, have thought it through uh, quite a bit. So uh, just to say the, the, the question at first, uh, let me just answer the question you didn't ask, but I thought you were asking for a second, uh, which is sure. like, taxation by safety ring slash plumia right and uh you know essentially just to i know you didn't ask that but i just wanted to answer that because that question sometimes comes up
0: yeah like will plumia tax people
1: and the answer is like no it will be more like it will be a product that costs a sum of money uh you know in the end you know that that's ultimately what what it will be and so even when you go to the most you know, let's say libertarian of the nomad subcultures, uh, which is a conference called Nomad Capitalist. That we we went to. There, <laughs> yeah. it's like everyone in that conference right. is like that, and they think Plume is fantastic. Like they they're like, yeah, get on with it, right? It's like how much is going to be, and we're like, well, maybe this, you know, maybe I don't know, five hundred dollars, and they're like, great. You know, when is it? When can I buy it? <laughs> so it's like it appeals to this yes. group, right? Because what they're trying to avoid is like being forced to pay for something they're not getting any value for that they don't want, right? It's not like that they're mm-hmm. against buying a product they think is cool, you know, voluntarily. So yeah. so the voluntary aspect here just completely flips the switch, you know, as far as how we appear uh, to this kind of nomad uh, subculture. Okay. And then uh but then to the to the question you did ask. So how will this dynamic evolve with the countries? And I think this is so crucial because I think it can go both ways. So there is a dystopian and a utopian uh possibility here and we saw I, I would say we saw this out of the gate and this informer strategy quite a bit and i and thought about plumia which is that uh you know you've seen in other industries um uh, uh where people either where the existing industry went into like you know f- fight mode or like trying to win mode uh and which way they choose is very makes it very uh, different how it is to be in that industry, right? So the, the kind of prime example of what you don't want is the music industry, uh, you know, where it started out with Napster and then every the whole industry just like went into the bunker and just sued everyone who started a music startup for a decade and I know a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And this was no fun if you were in the records either, which I also talked to them, like they're just like in perpetual conflict death and dread, right, all the time for, like, the entire 2000s. And then, of course, you know, Spotify comes and eventually this thing, like, blows over and now, like, the streaming is everything. But, you know, those 10 years were painful and could have been avoided mm-hmm. and also delayed the advent of, like, good streaming products uh, by a lot. So, okay, so so that's uh, – and – what we want to do is we, get, we want to tilt the countries into the mode of like, oh, this is an opportunity. We want to succeed because that's true. It's true that for the countries, this does have two sides to it. It's not like there's, oh, the, like we might get this person lost tax, tax revenue. Yeah, that's, that's possible, but it's also possible that you can attract. Like these like knowledge workers, high income, you know, entrepreneurs uh, to your 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 country who don't compete for any of the existing jobs and just contribute positively to the economy like a tourist. Right? And and yeah. so that logic is also true. So and if, if we get them into that mode of like trying to win, trying to attract, then you get this like uh, you know, you can call it a race to the bottom, but I would say it's a lot much more positive race, right? Instead of like trying to ban. And like make illegal, you know, the kind of like country equivalent of suing anyone who tries. You know, they can try to win, and that's I think the the key victory of the nomad visa development is tilting the countries in this direction. They're trying to win, and they're trying to get these people to come to their shores and making like huge uh, policy concessions and work to do that. Um, so I think once you get that dynamic going, it tends to continue. So now I have, a high, I have a high confidence that this will tend to continue, that people, they will just up the ante in trying to attract uh, this sort of uh, citizen and, and company uh, to their shores. Okay. So so that's uh, roughly how I think. But uh yeah, uh if you kind of zoom to an emergent effect that you implied like this this change over time, the ability for uh entities to to tax. I do think this is also the case. Yes. It doesn't happen in the short term, but on the long term it does happen. Uh and and that's probably going to have to be an adjustment that the countries will have to 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 uh make. Um I'm not exactly sure how, where it lands, but you know, we've seen it in other industries that go global, that this does happen. It happened with shipping in the beginning of the 1900s, like suddenly at the same time, all the like uh, people who did shipping, they discovered at the same time that you could, you could just have the company that owned the ship anywhere because you go between countries on the open ocean and they sort Mm -hmm. of all discovered that all at once. And then there was this like rush to like, you know, and that's where a lot of these offshore jurisdictions were created was for this purpose. Um, and so they would create the, the, their company there and you had the way countries reacted to that was in a few different ways. You had a few countries like Norway and Greece who tried to win and good on them because they actually still like were able to attract and have still a lot of that industry there. And then you had a lot of the other industries who tried to stop it by making it illegal. And of course, what they did is just drive out every single, you know, part of that industry from their country to- completely. Uh, and they certainly weren't able to stop it. Like The only thing that could really stop is the, you know, a ship going between two cities within that country. Um, so I think you'll have a similar dynamic here uh, when, you know, people are, you know, these kind of internet citizens and the companies too and they are they actually like if a if a country sucks they could just move to another one uh their company or their their residence uh you introduce competition and 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 that competition will reduce your ability kind of the amount of fees you can charge right you kind of basically leave a monopoly situation and and enter into a more competitive one um but it won't reduce it completely right so there will still be you know the equivalent of the use case of going A ship between two cities in the same country like there will still be kind of areas that can be taxed because it's fully controlled within that country uh it's just not going to be anything that happens on the internet basically it's going to be separated
0: yeah i I like to tend towards the utopian vision in the sense that i think so i think there will be a 10 or 20 year huge adjustment for you know I'm, i'm canadian so i you know i like like I am for like the universal healthcare that I had growing up I think it should continue. I am I sound American sound North American but I'm you know I I like a lot of the stuff that that Canada does. Um there's a lot of people in the in the community that don't though and it's kind of like let's move let's go move where we're we're treated best. And I and I get that too. I'm actually very I'm very sympathetic to that. But what I think so what I think is let's call it the left leaning governments in terms of if we want to fix problems, we can tax the rich more. I think the simple reality is whether you're left wing libertarian or right wing, the governments that lean towards that idea of like, we should tax the rich more are simply just going to have a problem of the, the rich can leave. And they always could do that, but it's like the bar has gone a lot lower. It's more like someone making a hundred thousand dollars can leave and just get a digital nomad visa and switch to residency where that was hard to do in even 2010. And so that's just yeah. the reality. Whether you're left-wing or right-wing, they're going to have to adapt to this form of competition. And I almost like feel like going back to classical liberal ideas, the idea that you compete by kind of forcing people to stay in your country because it's hard to get a visa. It's like, why am I not leaving Canada if I don't want to be here? Ah, oh, it's, it's 10 grand for the visa and I might not get the visa or leaving India to, for an H-1B. It's almost like that those are unfair rules. <laughs> Whereas where capital can move around boom, 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 yeah. like that with a wire transfer. You know, most people need years, you know, five years ago, most people needed years of work and planning and possible rejection to switch their country. And so I think, I'm, I'm sure as you believe in terms of what you've chosen to dedicate your life to right now, you agree, at least somewhat, but I think that the competition is good. And It will just be a forcing function like that. And so I'm sympathetic to the idea of uh, countries getting hollowed out and governments that want to tax to support services feeling a flight. But it's kind of just the reality of the middle class in the 30 years ago there were there's a G7 or, you know, six countries that everybody wanted to move to, you know for the american dream or the equivalent in places like the uk and france and australia lots of immigration in and just having a level playing field where there's 50 or 70 countries that are uh, that are saying please come here we're competing for your interest i i would say that it's going to be messy politically this is just my prediction messy politically for 10 years but we can right. get to a more, a more utopian vision where um we have better productivity and people are more free to sort themselves where they wanna go. And so I think that, that not everyone will be happy, but we are we are working towards some kind of utopia.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I think this moment in time is this great opportunity to create uh, a, you know, a bit more utopian social structure. And uh, yeah, obviously I'm dedicating my life to this because I do think that there's so much entropy on the internet in social structures and people are a bit blind to it. And we need to create this new social structures very quickly and you know, I hope we can be that interface to this like internet world for the the kind of the, the the countries, and that they will seize the upside. You know, just just to so, you know, if there's anyone from a country listening, like there is a lot of upside here if you do it correctly. Like there are ways of taxing, for example, that that still work for tourists, like VAT, right? Like consumption-based taxes mm-hmm. still are paid for by the equivalent of, of tourists. So if you ha- can attract. You know, what workers, remote companies, you get this like flourishing economy that, you know, it can still contribute to, you know, uh, your taxable base. And what you want is actually to make yourself as, as attractive as possible for this, you know, new global workforce. And, you know, that can set up your you know, economy for the 21st century in a great way. And if you're a citizen, you know, just like realizing that this is, this is the reality we're already living in. This is the economy is already global via the Internet, the labor market, you know, most product markets. And, but most people haven't realized it yet. So there's still so much opportunity from just being an early mover and uh, and 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 we're, it's really needed.
0: Is there any particular country or group of countries that you feel has done the, the Nomad visa or the remote visa the best?
1: I kind of like I don't know, how, almost everyone did it the same way, by the way, which is, you know, there is some up and down where it's like 50K. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you know, a couple of other things, but like not that much more, like n- none of them did, uh, kind of, uh, or host country requirements, which is like every other visa is like super rigid on.
0: Sorry. What is that? What is a host country requirement?
1: Like, for example, you might say like, Oh, this visa, uh, you know, y- you can apply for this visa, but you can only apply if you're from these 74 countries.
0: I see. I got it.
1: That's a big difference. So, so, that, that was the biggest mistake they can end up in. So uh, frankly, uh, I'm I'm thrilled to to have uh, you know an income requirement. I mean, it's not like you know free, but it's it's like it's it's uh, you know it's 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 a fair limit that you know it's achievable if you get an online job. You know, it's within the the range of the possible. So so. Uh, so I, I think it's, uh, I think it's actually a pretty great start. Uh, I, I wouldn't have, uh, and, and most people implemented that version. There's, there's a couple of like twists and turns, like curiosities, but in terms of like the base implementation, uh, you know, the people who did the three year or five year, uh, you know, ultimate, uh, unlimited renewable, which is the most common option. Um, I think that's, that's the right implementation. Um, so and thinking of the nomads logically a bit more like tourists than, temporary residents in some sense i i think it's just a more like state of mind to approach it by like to to kind of understand the upside and the downside uh it has more similar uh, yeah they're not immigrants yeah so so i I wouldn't point to them the things that point up when i think about specific countries are the few that did like different things but they the 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 main the mainstream thing is better than than the exceptions well
0: we're at the end of our hour sandra it's been great having you on the podcast just maybe one last question what are you most excited for in 2024 whether it's something you're releasing or just a trend that you're seeing what can what's exciting mm. in the next year
1: you know, we're working on two of the most exciting projects ever uh in Safe wing we're working on the kind of social safety net membership and you know, hopefully we'll be able to launch it in 2024 uh you know it's our gigantia undertaking it's kind of what the you know company was founded to build and we're you know last this year we're able to get some of the key infrastructure in place to kind of work on our vision product um so, so that's that. And then you know we have the Nomad Border Pass in, in some, some iteration um as well. So uh which is this thing we've been talking about. So two of you know the most exciting projects I've ever been working on. So that's it.
0: Great. Well we'll look out for that and uh we'll put information about you and about Safety Wing in the show notes as you'd expect. And thanks again for uh taking this hour to, to jump on remotely series. Thanks Curtis.